my boss, Chairman Tom Wheeler, has a mantra, and that is competition, competition, competition. Welcome to episode 192 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. From the Institute for Local Self-Reliance, I'm Lisa Gonzalez. Our podcasts usually focus on what's happening in local communities, but today we widen the lens to examine how things are changing at the federal level. The current Federal Communications Commission has made it known that they intend to do whatever they can to speed up ubiquitous, high-quality Internet access across the U.S. This week, we were able to touch base with Gigi Sohn, counselor to the chairman of the Federal Communications Commission. Chris and Gigi run through some of the policies the FCC are implementing to improve connectivity for residents, businesses, and organizations across the country. They also discuss some of the activity you may not know about yet, but is important to expanding the benefits of competition for services. At the Institute for Local Self-Reliance, we have conversations with people like Gigi to share information we know matters to you. And we do it with no advertising. Please take a moment to donate at ILSR.org or MuniNetworks.org to help us continue to bring you accurate, interesting, quality information. Any amount helps. Now here are Chris and Gigi Sohn, Counselor to the Chairman of the Federal Communications Commission. Welcome to another edition of the Community Broadband Bits Podcast. I'm Chris Mitchell, and today I'm speaking with Gigi Sohn, Counselor to Chairman Wheeler of the Federal Communications Commission. Welcome to the show. It's great to be here, Chris. Thank you for coming on, Gigi. I know it's incredibly busy um, at the council. I think you guys have had a string of remarkable achievements and projects. Um, I wanted to start by asking you a little bit about municipal fiber, and and I'm hoping you can tell me a little bit about, about why municipal fiber is important for the approach you're taking uh, at the commission. Sure. Well, look, my boss, Chairman Tom Wheeler, has a mantra that he talks about, and it's really been his guiding light throughout his two and almost a half-year term, and that is competition, competition, competition. He has said publicly many times that there is not enough competition for the kind of broadband access that most Americans need. So we actually redefined what the definition is for broadband. It was uh, four down and one up, and now we've changed it to 24. Five megabits per second down and three up. And he, you know, he has said publicly, and the numbers show that the vast majority of Americans either have no choice or one choice at that 25.3 speed, and that that 25.3 speed is what Americans need to use the multiple devices they have, to do homework, to fill out job applications out online, to watch video. Uh, so municipal fiber obviously is critical to helping push competition. It's, you know, not everywhere, but in many, many places, uh, having uh, municipal fiber really pushes the incumbent to up their game, better speeds, lower prices, a better service. And that competition, again, is really critical to making sure that everybody has affordable access to broadband. 
It's one year since the uh, the date of that um, incredible decision that um, the chairman led along with uh, Commissioners Rosenworcel and Clyburn uh, that removed barriers in North Carolina and Tennessee. We have oral arguments now scheduled for uh, March, um, later on this month, in fact. Um, I'm curious, has anything changed in the last year? Have you had any more compelling stories or has anything struck you about um, uh, the municipal fiber landscape since that decision really woke people up to it? I think what's really it's really struck me, and, and, and I would say, you know, my boss as well, is how that decision started the conversation in many different towns and cities throughout the country about whether this should be an option for them. Now, I will not say that it, it was our decision alone, right? It was advocates like you and Next Century Cities uh, and, and CLIC, uh, was the Coalition for Local Internet Choice, uh, you know, who are also sort of, you know, showing folks that, you know, that building community broadband networks is, is possible, desirable, uh, they're presenting best practices. But I would say that our decisions certainly started to kick off the conversation in hundreds of towns uh, and cities around the country as to whether this is something that, that you know, folks could do themselves, you know, whether they could determine uh, what their broadband future should be. So I think that's what's been really, really exciting for me to see all the feasibility studies and the construction starting and just people talking about this being feasible, whereas I don't think that kind of conversation was happening in as many places prior to our decision. And, and I, I actually I said this to my boss. I said, look, you know, we're going to have a tough battle in court. I think we'll prevail, but it's 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 tough and our and our and our legal theory is an is you know is a new legal theory. But I said to him, Look, we want to win in court, but even if we don't, what's important here is you've you've shown a light, uh, you know, a national spotlight on a critically important issue, and you will get momentum going. I think like what you saw in Colorado, uh, you know, with the referenda, all was it like thirty or forty different cities, almost fifty, yeah. Almost 50 cities, okay, uh, basically saying we want this and essentially, you know, uh, deciding to, you know, overrule the restrictive law that was passed there a number of years ago. I mean, I'd like to think that our decision helped to embolden uh, those cities to do that. So you've described two aspects, I think, of the competitive agenda that uh, the FCC has pursued. One of those is defining broadband in a meaningful way that will actually matter to people so we can get a real sense of how much choice there is. Another is encouraging municipal fiber. Um, What are other aspects of this uh, approach that um, you haven't mentioned yet? Obviously, our open Internet decision, which was decided the same day, uh, as the municipal broadband agenda is also a pro-competitive uh, decision as well to ensure that the internet is open and that innovation can flourish, uh, which then leads to more investment in broadband. Basically, makes broadband a good investment, right? And 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 an industry that that others might want to come in. So I think you know that has a lot to do with our open internet agenda. You know, we're looking at how to promote over-the-top services. So, as you all know, we denied the Comcast-Time Warner cable merger, so we were able to preserve, uh, you know, what competition there, there was, is in the ISP space. We put some serious conditions on the AT&T DirecTV merger, including requiring AT&T to build out to 12.5 million 
more homes. We basically said, if you want this merger, you must compete. You must lay fiber, and you must compete with cable. So, you know, we've used that transaction and obviously denying the Comcast transaction to both preserve and promote more competition. And, you know, we use our universal service funds, particularly our Connect America fund, which which builds out in rural areas also to, you know, to get new builds in, you know, fiber and otherwise in rural areas. So, you know, we're, we're doing this in a lot of different different ways um, and we'll continue to do so. I mean, another way we're promoting competition, again, it's not necessarily ISP competition, but ISP, you know, competition generally is we're opening up the set-top box, right? So, you know, for 20-plus years, most people rent this kind of clunky set-top box from their cable operator. And we're doing something, a campaign we call Unlock the Box, where we are, we, we are proposing to require cable operators to allow new entrants into cable, you know, into, into the cable set-top box space. It could be a box. It could be a device like a Chromecast. It could even be software. By opening up the last network, right, the wireless network is open, the telephone network is open, the Internet network of networks is open, but the cable network is still closed. So by opening up that network and allowing the attachment of non-harmful devices or software, you know, we believe that is going to lead to great competition in video. And I, I think you're, you've also done some interesting things around unlicensed spectrum, and I would just be curious if you could describe those briefly. So our big initiative in that regard is our big broadcast incentive auction. Right, I, I, thank you for reminding me about Spectrum because it's so incredibly important, you know, opening up more Spectrum to sharing, uh, opening up higher bands of Spectrum to both licensed and, and but mostly unlicensed uses. And again, in this incentive auction where we will be, where basically broadcasters will be selling their Spectrum back and then we will be re-auctioning the spectrum to wireless companies, number one, uh, in the reselling of the spectrum, we have set rules that will allow the smaller competitors uh, to buy more spectrum, or at least get a jump on buying more spectrum, number one. And number two, we set rules that would, pres- you know, preserved un- you know, larger swaths of unlicensed spaces uh, for, for, you know, unlicensed use. So, yes, our spectrum policy has been you know, a huge part of how we're promoting competition. I mean, we don't believe that wireless uh, broadband is, is yet a substitute for a wireline. It may never be, or who knows? You know, the chairman was in Barcelona last week where all the talk was about, you know, the new generation of wireless technology called 5G, which people probably won't see at least till 2020. We are opening up as much spectrum as possible for A, for sharing, including with unlicensed uses, and just plain old bases for nothing but unlicensed. Yeah, um, a number of people, you've, you have a long history in the, as a consumer advocate and, and working for consumer protections. And some people have come to me and, and said, you know, it's foolish to encourage municipal fiber. It's foolish to do this or that. We should just recognize that this is a natural monopoly and we should treat it as such. Yeah, I guess the chairman doesn't really agree with that uh, per se. Uh, you know, he has seen the benefits of when competitors come in, whether they're community broadband or not. He, you know, when Google Fiber comes into a community, all of a sudden the incumbents are providing two gigabit service and you know, and ten gig service. 
So, you know, he's seen what can happen uh, when you, you know, allow access to poll attachments, when you lift up regulatory barriers, for example, to, you know, to building polls for, for, you know, wireless and cellular technologies. So he's not ready to give up on the notion of competition yet. Is there more work to be done? Absolutely. But we think we've taken some really good steps through our spectrum policy through, you know, our, our transaction policy and through our policies encouraging uh, community broadband to get that competition started. It may take a little while. But I think we're unlikely to, to get back to a, a time where, you know, you had 10 or 13 different ISPs serving a community. But we certainly think uh, that the situation now is not acceptable, and we're going to do everything in our power to try to get more folks out there competing, you know, for, for broadband Internet access. And then my last question is is a little bit um, separate. It's it's what are people not noticing? I, I know that the FCC has been taking action on disability to make sure that really everyone can access the internet, even if they're visually impaired or other things. That yeah. springs to mind. I'm curious if there's other things that you've been doing that people aren't noticing that you think is really important. Yeah, I gave a speech about this in September in Rhode Island. I mean, we are consumer protection agency. People don't think of us that way, right? But we have a, a brand new complaint system. We've always had a complaint system, but it was largely like you'd call up, you know, 1-800 number. But we've got this great online complaint system where people can file complaints and those complaints go to ISPs, broadcasters, wherever you're complaining about. I mean, we have, you know, we have a very, very active enforcement bureau, which is to the dismay of a lot in industry. And they've gone after things like Wi-Fi blocking and slamming and cramming, which is, you know, fraudulent billing uh, issues and privacy violations. I mean, we are all about protecting the consumer. You know, we're, you know, we will soon launch a, you know, a, a rulemaking on privacy protections in the broadband world. And that stems from our open internet, uh, our open internet proceeding. And I think people don't necessarily think of us that way. Right? They think of us as the net neutrality agency or the cable and broadcast regulatory agency, but we have a huge component of this agency that is just dedicated to protecting consumers from ordinary pocketbook and privacy issues that affect them every single day. And and that's you know and that's the one thing that that I've been trying to you know to do is sort of elevate us as a consumer protection agency, frankly, on par with the FTC or the, C, you know, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. Do people know that we're the prim- primary agency for regulating robocalls you know, under the Telephone Consumer Protection Act? That's actually, we have had so much work because a lot of companies are trying to fritter away uh, at, the, at the law that you know, only prohibits robocalls with consent. So I think I think people don't necessarily recognize us as a consumer protection agency, and and uh, I'd like to change that. Great. Well, thank you so much for your time today. My pleasure, Chris. Take care. That was Chris and Gigi Sohn, counselor to the chairman of the Federal Communications Commission. Thanks for taking time to talk to us, Gigi. Send us your ideas for the show. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org. Follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at communitynets. Follow muninetworks.org stories on Twitter. The handle is at muninetworks.org. Thank you to Kathleen Martin for the song Player vs. Player, licensed through Creative Commons. And thank you for listening to episode 192 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. Mm-hmm.